Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 9, 30 through 37. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Sitting down, he called the twelve and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. He took a child, had him stand among them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. All right. I missed you guys uh, last week. I, I was preaching in Columbia, but it's, it's nothing like uh, being with your family. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm just, I'm really glad uh, to be here. If you're new here, our practice is to, to preach uh, through books of the Bible. So we'll take a book of the Bible and we'll just start and we'll take a section and we'll just preach and we'll see what the Lord has to say as we walk through uh, books in the Bible. So as you can see, we're in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, it's one of my favorite books, especially since I've been spending so much time in it. Um, one of the things that, is, that I've noticed uh, lately, I mean, lately I mean in the last couple of years, is I've noticed an uptick of what I want to call performative spirituality. Performative spirituality. What I mean is this, is that we want others to feel that we are spiritual. And a lot of times the mechanism by which we do that is social media. And one of the things that's interesting is you don't even have to necessarily isolate it uh, to Christians. Uh, it's anybody who wants to be known as right and just, particularly in the moments of cultural outrage, they're going to type a really long post about how they are on the right side, wherever they think the right side is. They're on the right side of said issue or said event. And by, by, by me demonstrating I'm on the right side, you should know that I'm mature, or I'm awake, I'm woke, I'm spiritually mature, whatever it is, that I am, am on the good side, I'm, 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 I'm elevated in my understanding of what is going on. I like to call that uh, social media Christians. You know what I'm saying? We, we about that life on Facebook. But a lot of times, as I, as I have gotten to know some social media Christians, I've, I've seen some, uh, a lack in actual spiritual fruit in their life. And in this text, what we see as spiritual fruit is a lot of times different than what we expect it to be. In this text, we learn that we follow Jesus by welcoming the least and the low. We follow Jesus by welcoming the least and the low. Not by looking religious, not by posting religiously, but we follow Jesus by welcoming, having relationship with those who will be considered the least and the low. 
So let's ask him for his help. Lord Jesus, please help us to understand what is written in your word. And not only that we would understand it, but by the power of your spirit, we would obey what is written in the text. We thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Amen. Amen. So we start off again in verse 30 and 31. It says, then they left that place. If you paid it, remember, it, the last place they were at it was, a, was a big spiritual battle. They had cast out a demon. It was wild. Anyway, then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it, he being Jesus. For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise three days later. So if you're reading this Bible and, and uh, the CSB translation, what it, the heading it has under, it says, it says, this is the second time that Jesus is predicting his death. In other words, Jesus is repeating himself. And, 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 and the Gospels rarely repeat the acts and the words of Jesus. After all, it is kind of a short uh, little book to, to capture 33 years of a life. And so when the Gospels repeat themselves, we have to pay attention. Wait, wait, this might be very important. When someone repeats themselves, that means they're trying to make a point. Mark makes sure, the writer of Mark makes sure that we understand that Jesus must die and rise again. If you read the book of Mark, you should know what the main point is because he repeats it so often. I didn't say a lot of stuff, but you remember what I said more than once? That it was necessary that Jesus would die for our sins and rise again. There's no good news without it. And if we should repeat anything, it should be the good news of the gospel. That's why I don't have issues. Look, look we're going to preach about a lot of stuff at Reconciled Community Church, but y'all know we're going to talk about one thing, the fact that Christ Jesus died for sins and that he rose again. And through that, we have forgiveness and life. See, a message about Jesus that does not center on his death and resurrection is not sufficient. If you hear something about Jesus and you leave going, oh, I got to do this, that, and that, and that, another, but you did not hear what he had first done for you, that's not the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, and Paul says, for I pass on to you as most important what I also receive, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He said, out of all the stuff I said, this is the most important. Or what he says in Romans 1, 16, it says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. The beautiful thing about the gospel is it's not good advice, it's good news. It's not about what you did, it's about what God did for you in Christ. If you hear the gospel and you go, oh no, what do I have to, no, you, you misunderstood it. The gospel is this, is that we were dead in sin, and God loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to die in our place. And when you hear that, you should feel a sense of relief, because the gospel is good news, not good advice. We get down to verse 32, it says, but they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. What's really interesting is Jesus says a lot of confusing stuff. Is this one of them? 
He was very clear. He wasn't speaking in a parable. He wasn't speaking in code. He was very clear about what he said. But what this teaches us is that we need, God, we need God's help to understand God's word. He was very clear. Hey, everybody, I'm going to die. Three, three days later, I'm going to rise again. And they're like, huh? He said, I mean, I don't know how more clear you can get. What is going on? It teaches us that we need God's spirit to truly understand God's word. All right, this is in 1 Corinthians 2. It says, but the person without the spirit does not receive what comes from God's spirit because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The reason they didn't understand because they're like, well, I heard the words you said, but that did not make sense because Jesus, you said you are a powerful Messiah. Why in the world are you going to end up on the cross? The disciples were judging God's words based upon human understanding. What would it help if Christ died? Isn't he supposed to conquer somebody? Isn't he supposed to show power? Beloved, this means that we have to ask God's help to understand God's word. Because sometimes what God says does not make sense to the natural mind. And we need help from his spirit. And you can just take a, a cursory look at some of Jesus' sayings when he says, if anyone's going to live, he has to pick up his cross and follow me. What? If I'm going to live, I got to suffer? We need his help to understand, because without his help, we hear the gospel, and we're like, what? is that good news? Is that something that I need? We need his help to see. But when you look at the text, it says they didn't understand, but they were afraid to ask him. Now listen, they ask him all kinds of stuff in the gospel of Mark, all kinds of stuff. Why in the world were they afraid to ask him what he meant? Could it be possible that the fear came from them not wanting to understand what Jesus was saying? I don't know if you've been in a situation where you say something, somebody says, huh, and I'm like, I know you know what I said, <laughs> but you just don't like what I said. <laughs> you didn't want to hear what I said, so you go, I don't know what they said. No, you did know. We must be careful not to let our own desires dictate how we understand the scriptures. Yeah? You ever known somebody to, to dodge someone that they don't want to have a conversation with because they know the content of the conversation? The conversation is probably true, but they don't want to be confronted with that truth. I tell you what, man, being a pastor, I've been dodged more than my whole life. I ain't, man, people, do they dodge me left and right. I walk in the room, people are like, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, but listen, listen, because the reality is, is this, is this, sometimes you know what somebody's going to say, and you know what they're saying is right, but you're like, I don't even really want to hear that, so let me act like I didn't hear. I'm like, I know I said hello. Why you ain't say that to me? We must learn to accept the sayings of Jesus, even when they are hard to accept. And just because something is hard to accept does not make it untrue. Jesus has hard things to say to us out of love and care. And because they are hard and might be hard to hear, that does not mean that they are not true. So, so, so we got to say, Jesus, you need, need, need to expect it. Jesus is going to say some stuff that's going to be hard to hear. 
He just is. That's how, that, that is just how it is in the Gospels, and it's how it is right now in your life. And you need to come ready. Jesus, you, I know that you're going to say something that, that I might not want to hear, but, but would you give me power by the Spirit to listen and to obey? You get to verses 33 and 34. It says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent. Because on the way, they had been arguing about with one another about who was the greatest. This is such a crazy juxtaposition. The disciples are arguing about who is the greatest as Jesus is telling him he's about to suffer and die. I don't even know how you get away with that conversation. You know, it's like, he's like, I'm sure he's in a pretty sober, y'all, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to beat me. They're going, to, they're going to torture me. They're going to nail my hands and my feet to a cross. And Peter's like, I'm better than you. What? Like, read the room, dog. Like, like, what are you talking about? Like, why are we talking about this right now? Your Savior is demonstrating that he is willing to suffer and die for you, and you're talking about I'm better than him. Some tone-deaf stuff right there. And what's interesting is they knew they were being foolish because Jesus said, what are you talking about? They're like, <laughs> they already know. I don't, I don't, but I, did you hear him? I didn't hear him say nothing. No, they already knew it was foolish because when Jesus asked them, they fell silent. Now, they was talking real loud to begin with, but then when they got confronted, they're like, oh, let me be quiet. See, Jesus graciously challenges us to self-reflect when we are being sinful. Yeah? The funny thing is Jesus knew what they were talking about. It ain't like he was surprised. He heard it. But he wanted to go, hey, let me show you a mirror. Are you aware of what you sound like right now? (laughs) Again, something that might be hard to hear, but is necessary so that we would understand who we are and where we stand before him. And I think a good question for us all today is, is based upon your life, what question might Jesus ask you? Where are you being foolish and you know it? You know it. Nobody else might know, but you know it. And if Jesus were to stand before you and be like, let's talk about that thing, you'd be like, what thing? But you know the thing. (laughs) You know the thing. I don't even know. Yeah, you know. You know. What might Jesus ask you? What is the thing that the Spirit of God might be bringing to your attention over and over and over again? And you keep looking this way and that. But he is offering you this grace to see yourself in a mirror and to ask him for help for change. He goes on and he instructs and we we see that Jesus teaches that true greatness is found through servanthood. In verse 35, it says, sitting down, he called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and servant of all. Now, when I was growing up, when I, particularly when I started following Jesus in high school, you know, in high school, you trip a lot, you know, like morally. And sometimes my friends would go, Will, do we need to have a CTJ? A CTJ is a come to Jesus meeting, okay? Do we need to have a come? Because, Will, you tripping. And, I, and I'm like disciples, maybe I'm not. No, I knew I was. And we need to have a CTJ. That, that's what, when, when you see G- Jesus sitting down, 
That's what's about to happen. In the ancient world, the seated position is the authoritative teaching position. All right? So they're wilding out. He's like, let me sit down. <laughs> let me sit down because you need to know I'm about to t- tell you something, and you need your ears to be open. Ironically, you want to know something crazy? When, when, in the early days of the church, do you know the pastor sat and everybody else stood? <laughs> That was that because that was the authoritative teaching position. So Jesus sat down so that they could understand. Wait, no oh snap. He about to say something serious. Let, let me put my listening ears on. Y'all, sometimes we need to have a CTJ. Sometimes, sometimes there's an area in our life where, where we know we're tripping. We know we're not listening to the Holy Spirit. And somebody needs to come and, and sit down in front of us and say, listen, let me speak with you. You do not need to be afraid to initiate these. Half of my job as a pastor is initiating CTJs. <laughs> it just is what it is. Hey, brother, we need to talk, and you know what that means. You don't need to be afraid because, listen, what Jesus did was a loving thing. He wanted to demonstrate truth to them. He wanted to show them the error of their ways, and the path that they were heading was not one of life. And he says, I'm going to initiate this conversation with you because I love you. And if there's somebody in your life that needs to have a conversation, then you need to be bold enough and Christ-like enough to initiate that conversation. Not in anger, not in haste, but say, hey, can, can, we, can we sit down and talk? There's something we need to discuss. And on the flip side, don't be offended if someone initiates one of these with you. All right? Nobody is above that. Nobody has arrived in their life where there's never a time where somebody needs to talk to them about what you're doing or what you might not be doing. What we see in the text is that Jesus takes pride and self-promotion seriously. The one who could have boundless self-promotion because he has all power and authority took the path of a servant. Did he not? It is actually a reflection of God's character to see humility. Pride and self-promotion is antithetical to the character of God. He is always the one who is condescending. He is always the one who is communicating and taking the initiative to come to us. He is the one who reveals when we don't understand what we should do. He stoops down low to be with us. Is His very act of communication is a condescension. I don't know about you. Sometimes I don't, I'm kind of dense and I don't understand a lot of stuff. I need, I'm like, can you explain it to me like I'm five? Can, can you explain it to me like I'm three? Like, I'm struggling to understand. Listen, every time God communicates with us, he is explaining it to us like we're five. And that is an act of grace. He condescends to speak with us. And Jesus teaches his disciples that true greatness is found through servanthood. The craziest thing is, is we live in a culture where that statement isn't radical. But you need to understand that when it was spoken, it was radical to first century ears. What do you mean true greatness means I'm a... True greatness means I'm the master. True greatness means that everybody serves me. Might makes right. If I'm stronger than you, I'm going to dominate you. You need to understand, before the words of Jesus, it was not a good thing to be a servant. That's, that's what the slave did. When Jesus said, to follow me means you're going to be a servant, you need to understand how offensive that was. Me? No, no. I, what were they just arguing about? I'm the greatest. 
I ain't about to serve nobody. Matter of fact, if anybody's serving anybody, y'all should be serving me. The fact that this statement makes sense to us actually lets you know how deep the message of Jesus has got ingrained in our society that we would think leadership is servanthood. And, and, and listen, listen, Jesus is the greatest, and, and would we not want to imitate him? I love this about Jesus. Is he doesn't call us to do something he himself is not doing. Yeah? He, imitate, he, he demonstrated what it meant to serve. And those who follow Jesus should not be the ones looking for the highest reputation. One of the things I love about Jesus is if, if you pay attention to the Gospels, Jesus pursues people, and almost every time he pursues somebody, they are someone on the outskirts, someone outcasted. Anytime Jesus is speaking with a rich person or someone who is great in status, they came to him. But anytime he went to go search for somebody, it was the weak and the lowly person. We don't need to be caring about status and greatness. That's not the way of Jesus. Those who follow Jesus should be the ones looking for the lowest place of service. It's a challenging thing to, to say and a challenging thing to hear. That's one of the reasons why, why I'm, so, I'm so thankful for, for the other elders here at Reconciled Community Church. Right now, there is an elder running sound. Another elder is in kids' ministry. Another elder drives a van every week on Wednesday. Beloved, they are in positions of authority because they have demonstrated what servanthood looks like. And I hold them up because I say, if you want to imitate somebody, imitate them. These are brothers who walk in humility as Jesus walked in humility. Now, what I love in verse 36 and 37 is, is Jesus makes it plain what he means by serving the least of these. In 36, he says, he took a child and had him stand among them and taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Jesus indicates that the path of service is welcoming those the society and the culture do not value. You need to understand something. Children were not cherished as they, as they are today in that time. Children were seen as a financial drain, and they were expected to get out the way. Don't we got stuff to do? You go over there. I don't know what you got to do, but you need to leave me alone because I got to go work the field or whatever else I got to do. Children were not valued. As it, listen, even 200 years ago, they didn't have stuff like child labor laws. It is a very recent thing that children are honored and valued, and praise God for that. But you need to understand that when Jesus was having a conversation with, with, with his disciples and he brought in a child, they were thinking, why did you bring this worthless person in here? Is this person not going to get in the way? We're having a conversation. We got stuff to do. Tell him to go away. Tell him to go play with his Legos or something. We got to have a conversation. And Jesus said, no, if you're going to follow me, you welcome the least and the low. What I love here is he doesn't just say serve. He doesn't say tolerate. He doesn't say visit sometimes. He says welcome. That implies relationship. That implies time spent. He says, if you want to be my servant, if you want to say you follow me, then you find the folk that don't nobody want to hang out with, and you go hang out with them. That is what he's saying. 
The path of Christian service is found in welcoming and seeking friendship and serving the weak and the low. In other words, who can you pursue that does not gain you a reputation? Whom can you pursue that does not add to your pocketbook? Whom can you pursue that, let's just be real, it ain't always always easy to pursue. So what Jesus says in Luke 14, he he says, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Y'all, I don't think he's giving a metaphor. I think he's just being real. You gonna have a party? You better invite somebody ain't nobody gonna invite. If you're gonna be with me. There's a song, it's an old song by Lecrae called Beautiful Freak. It's actually the second time I quoted it this week, but listen to this. He says, in Luke 4:16 on down to 21, Jesus says he's the Messiah, says he's the chosen one. But more than that, he quotes Isaiah that shows that our Savior targets oppressed, captive, blind, and the broke, I'm saying. He had a heart for the poor, had a heart for the low, and 1 John 2, 6 is the way we should go. 1 John 2, 6 says that anybody who says they call on him should walk as he walked. So you're going to say you gonna say you follow Jesus. You're going to say you're going to follow him, right? What did he do? He intentionally, not on accident, he intentionally said, I am going to look for, I'm going to search out, I am going to befriend the least and the low, the one whom society would go stand over there, I'm going to pull them in. That's going to be my inner circle. Listen, welcoming the weak and the low is the pathway to welcoming more of God in your life. Is that not what he said? What, what, what did he say? He said, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. You want to be with God? Then you better welcome the least in the low. You want, you want more of God in your life? And you need to develop friendships with people that others would avoid. If you want communion with Jesus, you must go where he goes. What's so interesting is the average person in some form or fashion would say, they want more of the divine. They, more, they want more of, of, of goodness, of truth, of beauty. They want, they want more of, of the transcendent, of that which could bless us and guide us. And Jesus is saying, listen, if that's what you want, then put your money where your mouth is and go welcome and serve the least and the low, because that's where I am. This is what Christ, and, and I was talking to a brother this week, and, and, and we were talking about what, what, what qualifies spiritual maturity. And a lot of times we get it twisted, y'all. We think spiritual maturity is learning a bunch of facts. If I can learn more Bible, if I can learn more theology, if I can learn all this stuff, then I'll be spiritually mature. But in reality, that just makes you a Pharisee. What makes you spiritually mature is not how much you know, but if you obey what you do. That is spiritual maturity. Christian Jesus is with the lowly. So the question is, will you go and join him? Will you go and join him when it's not convenient? (laughs) Jesus welcomed us through his death and resurrection. This this teaching that I'm, I'm saying today is especially hard if you don't understand your spiritual state without Christ. 
So with the students in student ministry, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. And the first thing that Jesus said is blessed or happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He says, you are blessed when you look at your spiritual state and you say, I ain't got nothing. I don't got nothing to offer. I, I, listen, listen I'm, I'm poor spiritually. I don't, I don't have anything to contribute. And Jesus says, all right, now you understand something. Now you see where you really are. And now you can have access to the blessed and happy life that God has for you. See, we were the ones who were spiritually poor and weak. I don't know if you know yourself, but a perfect and holy God ain't looking to hang out with people who blaspheme his name. When, when, I, when I explain the gospel to people, um, a lot of times people take sin lightly. And an example I give a lot, I says, it says, suppose somebody asks me for really great advice. I said, if, you give, if I give you this advice, this will equal great success. And I give them just, just profound and good advice. And they look at me and they say, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard in my whole life. That sounds funny, but that's what sin is. We look at divine wisdom and say, nah, I ain't worried about that. I'm going to do me. So, so I don't know about you. If somebody looked at you and said, your advice is dumb, I don't know if you're trying to hang out with them, right? Go over there then. But beloved, that's exactly what Jesus did with us. Because sin is looking at divine wisdom and saying, I don't need that. We are the ones who are spiritually weak and poor. And what did, what did Christ gain by coming down and entering flesh and being with us? He said at the beginning of the text, what's the end of his life? Suffering and death. It was not easy. It was not easy. Yet Jesus gladly went to the cross to welcome us so that we could have eternal life with him. And the perfected, resurrected Christ is calling you to be with him now and forever. He did that to spiritually weak, blind, and poor people. That is the Christ in whom we serve. And so now, when the rubber meets the road, what are some specific ways that you can welcome others whom some would consider undesirable into your life? I, just, I like to make a plan. Can I make a plan? Because some of y'all knew. All right, listen. Some of the, the, the ministry that we do often, like week in and week out, it's stuff that don't nobody else want to do. And I'll give you a really clear example. I, re- I remember when, when I first moved to this community, I was like, how can I meet people? And I was like, well, when I was in high school, there was this thing called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And for whatever, whatever reason, you can go preach the gospel. You can't preach the gospel in public school. When you put on FCA, you can. I don't, it's weird. But we're just going to ride it, okay? And so, and so I started about six, six, seven years ago, I started going uh, uh, every week to our local high school. Our local high school is, it has a 99 to 100% free or reduced lunch, okay? It is the highest concentration of poverty in the whole county. All right, so I started going there, and I realized really often that, that the, the, the principal and others were giving me a really cold shoulder, and I couldn't understand why. Let me tell you how real it got. He would stand in front of the door, and he's my friend, now I can say this. He, it's not the current one. He would stand in front of the door, and he would like fist bump or shake every student's hand. So I'm walking through the line. I'm like, I guess that's what we're doing, you know? I stick my hand out. He just looks at it. I'm like, Okay. This happens every week for three months. I, every week, I'm like, okay, we're not doing it, okay. And I asked, the, I, like, I asked one of the teachers, like, what is going on? Like, what did I do to offend this man? 
And this is what she said to me. She said, so many people want to come and help us because of their reputation, but they don't stay. And so many people have made promises to us, but it got hard relationally and they left. And so the reality is, we don't know if you're going to be here. And we're not about to open our heart if you're not going to be here. And I remember around month three, we did that little dance again. And then he said, I want to speak to you. And he pulled me into his office and he said, what do you want? Exactly like that. What do you want? I was like, I just, I just want to serve y'all. I just, I, we, our church just wants to be here. We, we, I live here. My church is here. This is where people are. We just want to serve. And from that day, it's like the door was just open. And the craziest thing is it was open for anybody who wanted to go. You just had to stay. If you, you want to be about welcoming, but you just, you just had to be like, I'm not about to leave. I'm going to stay. Now, why, why would you leave? Because it, sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's relationally hard. Because, listen, there are folks in our community who are struggling with real things, real stuff, abuse in the home. Sometimes they don't know where the next meal is coming from. I don't know about you, but if you grow up like that, you're not always going to be the nicest person. But are we going to welcome them? Are we going to be like, that's too hard? Another thing that, 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 that amazes me, I remember I was uh, last Wednesday, I don't know how many kids, there's a lot of kids there, and I was looking at John, and I was like, what are we going to do, John? There's a lot of kids over here. One of the interesting things about it is, y'all, it's not even cool. We don't do nothing cool. We ain't got no lights. I mean, there's nothing cool. I mean, I, I, I can tell them about Jesus, and then we eat like some chips, and then we play basketball. Like, it's not like that cool. But, but what, what, is, what is interesting about that is it doesn't have to be cool because they're just looking for somebody who will care. If you just show up, because ain't nobody else showing up. Yeah? So if you say, I'm going to set my mind to welcome. Welcome, welcome. Hi. I'm going to set my mind to welcome. Another way we can welcome, you know, Bailey just talked about his turn soccer again. Here's the funny thing. I don't even, I, I don't volunteer with it, but I just show up and I say hi. That's what I do. They be in the gym like, hello. Listen, and when them kids see me, they be like, it's Pastor Will. I'm like, I don't even know you. <laughs> What's, but, but that consistency of showing up and welcoming, beloved, beloved, we must do that. And she ain't asked me to say it, but I'm going to say it. Y'all, sometimes Gordon has a hard time finding volunteers at kids' ministry. And a lot of y'all are like, oh, I don't have, feel the call in to, to be with kids. There's a lot of stuff I don't feel called to do. <laughs> right? Jesus said, welcome, to, welcome those who are leaving. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't fill me up. Okay. Like, what Jesus say? You want to follow me? You're going to be a servant of all. How are you going to be a servant of all? You welcome and hang out with people you don't want to. And you can look through the situations that you are usually in. And who can you seek out in those situations? Who can you advocate for? I remember one of my, like my, I, used, I went to North Greenville. My first day going to North Greenville, I was like, oh, we Christians out here. It's going to be so nice. And there was a dude, I ain't going to lie, he was a little weird. But these two girls kept snickering at him, like laughing at him. And I'm like, this is, fr- come on, y'all. And finally, I just got frustrated. I just said, y'all just shut up. Now, don't do that. But <laughs> I said, stop making fun of him and shut up. And that man became my friend. 
Listen, what, what are, this, this is not overly complicated. Where are the settings in your life where somebody is overlooked and where can you welcome them? Where can you defend them? Where can you advocate for them? Beloved, we stand up for the weak, the low, the outcasts. And a lot of times people are bored in their Christian life. And the reason they are bored is because they're not following Jesus where he said to be. Listen, my life is many things, but it's not boring. If you go and you say, I'm going to be with Jesus where he said he's going to be with the weak and the low and the lost, you're not going to be bored. And beloved, you will be fulfilled because you will see the power of God. So y'all, we follow Jesus. We follow him by welcoming the least and the low. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Even when your word says something that is challenging to us, and Lord, I pray that every single one of us would take, um, that we would take that challenge seriously. Lord, that we would follow you wherever you say to go. We would follow you expecting that it might be hard times, but your presence will be there. Jesus, you cared for us when we were ungodly, when we were sinners, when we added nothing, not one thing to you. And in fact, we only added burden, a burden that you carry to the cross, and you demonstrated that love for us. And so, Lord, help us to imitate you and demonstrate that love to others. Lord, give us your heart. Give us, give us your eyes that we might see those who are in need, those who are outcasts, those who have struggles and burdens that feel too hard to bear, and help us follow you and be with them where you are. In Jesus' name, amen.